Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Just be sitting up there jacked I'm there for the pot goat. You just got to pack me in committed to the boat early on like i love getting close and putting up you cover a range of stuff on here too right like we call this the uh, the thp world headquarters you know my grandpa roy weatherby i came into like that golden little pocket where there was like four or five different bowls just you're canadian we're doing yeah, a canadian I... podcast my name's douglas Bowes. i'm robbie denning is is something special but to be able to do it with your kid is it's next level yeah, and he shot a bigger bull than I did. I couldn't <laughs> believe it. I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, yeah. here, for a kid? Like, yeah, I didn't man. shoot a bull like that till I was in my 20s. Yeah. 13. My goodness. Yeah, how old is he? He's 13. 13, wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. That's uh, Is that your oldest? No, that's my uh, middle child. I got three kids. A 16-year-old, nice. Cohen. Mace is 13, and then... Uh, a five-month-old Olivia. Oh, nice, nice, good little, yeah. good little break there before get on to the next one, eh? Oh yeah, that's always fun. Yeah, yeah I got three myself. They're they're a little closer together, but uh, man, it's a ton of fun. Wyatt, uh, yeah, he's eleven this year, and yeah, he loves getting out. So uh, my daughter just turned ten, and she's been out a bit, but not as hardcore as her older brother. And the hunter, the youngest, he's uh, he's raring to go already. So he's seven, but he can't wait to turn ten. So why don't uh, why don't we just uh, start off, buddy? Just give yourself a little introduction. Let the listeners know <clears throat> kind of who you are and and maybe how you got into hunting. Lost the vol- lost the audio again. There, you got me there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, name's Derek Corey. Um, I'm a husband to Natasha Corey, father of three. Um, I'm a technician, turbine technician. I'm a supervisor of a power plant. Um, as far as hunting, that's my, that's my everything. That's all my hobbies are all hunting. 
Hunting's been a part of my life since I can remember. Uh, my father hunted, his father hunted. Parents did a really good job of getting us outdoor, outdoors. And uh, it wasn't until 2013, like we did a lot of deer hunting when I was younger, growing up, a lot of waterfowl. You know, I shot a cow elk, nothing major, nothing as like definitely not what I'm doing now. That's for sure. Yeah. But uh, 2013, a friend of mine, Brett and I got really heavily into elk hunting and it was just your stereotypical bushwhacking, not really knowing what to do, just kind of failing and failing and failing. Um, I was really heavily into long range rifle, uh, precision rifle, target, um, you know, pushing the limits of distances and stuff like that, but nothing, it was all hunting, all centered around hunting. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, <clears throat> around 2015 started getting more into archery, started shooting, but it wasn't good enough to really think about ethically taking an animal. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, 2016 is really when, well, 2015, I shot a big bull, uh, a big bull moose with my father and, and then from there, I was, I pretty much had just said, you know, like I got to commit or I'm not going to get any success. Yeah. So, and that's how I am with everything, whether that's fly fishing, archery, rifle, I'm all in because I feel like if you don't do that, you're not going to have that success that you're wanting and you're just mm-hmm. kind of wasting your time fumbling around out there. So uh, 2016, dedicated all of my effort towards elk. Um, you know, bugling 15 minutes a day. I did that for a year and a half. I like this big pile of reeds Yeah. just of just trying to make noises, trying to understand noises, why the elk are doing what they're doing, you know? Um, and then just shoot my bow like a maniac, uh, 2017, I, I bought a, uh, a new Hoyt and that's really when I started really, mm-hmm. uh, shooting archery, but at the end of 2016, I, I did shoot a six by six bull elk with my rifle, but then I was like, you know, there's gotta be a better way. Mm-hmm. It, it really does because elk hunting and, and, and this is, it might be controversial to some people. I feel like elk hunting can be in quotations easier in archery for the person that practices, they're dedicated, yeah. they're skilled because once you get into the elk, you have some sort of lever when you're in rifle, there's no levers. Yeah. You got to be out there and you got to find them. And there's a zillion people out there and you're dealing with the elk, the hunters, limited space. They're getting mm-hmm. pushed around as far as, you know, a pure way, the right way to hunt elk, I think is with a bow and arrow. <clears throat> yeah. I, I've Just, said it too. And I couldn't agree more that I think like for all the animals, like compared to like mule deer hunting, like elk with a bow if you put the time in, if you're committed, if you put the work in, can be easier just because the nature of the elk, like calling, you know, you can get them in a lot closer. And then once you have, but you have to put the time in, you know what I mean? You can't just grab a bow, shoot it a bit and go and say, okay, well, Kevin said it's easier to kill a elk with a bow than a rifle. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, yeah, like if you were to, if you were to pick some animals to shoot with, a, I feel during the rut, you know, if you if you put your time into your area, you know you're calling and you're confident in your shooting, it could definitely be easier. Because you can call those bulls in so close. Like the bull I shot this year, man, I shot like 10 or 15 feet. 
Like he was coming in on a string. Oh yeah. But I mean, saying that I've, I've suffered a lot. I've gone through all those growing pains. You know what I mean? I've put my time in to get to where I'm confident that, you know, if you put me in a situation where there's a bull, I'm going to, I'm going to be able to kill that bull. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, being proficient with calling, making sure that you, well, it's funny because, you know, when people ask me about calling, I always tell them like, well, how would you like it if you're trying to communicate with someone on the other side of a room and they're a stranger and all you do is you say, hey, and they say, hey, how you doing? And you just say, hey, yeah. hey, hey, like it's the same <laughs> thing over and over. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, having that ability to understand what they're doing, mm-hmm. like, I mean, it's just like with your bow. Like a lot of people say like, well, you know, you can call an elk and you elk aren't perfect and you don't need to be the best caller. Well, that's true. But just like with your bow, you can, there's guys out there that they pull their bow out and they, they shoot once and then they go out and they hunt. Is that the best way to do it? Probably not. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, same thing with Mm -hmm. calling, just making sure that you know those calls and knowing when to adapt and change. And, um, and that's really what, I've been doing since then, since I had my first big success on elk, really dove into it. And then every year it's been just an expectation. I'm going to get an elk and I'm going to do whatever it takes, whether that's shooting my bow, lifting weights, you know, physically being prepared, Mm -hmm. calling. It doesn't matter what it is. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure that I'm not failing myself when I'm getting that position where I'm like, oh, what do I do? Mm -hmm. What am I supposed to do? You know, having that little bit of extra oomph that... That really is when you, like, even with my kid, we seen elk, their couple bulls are coming across the ridge. And I'm like, this is where people fail. Let's go. Yeah. Like, we have to cut them off, head them off. We may not catch them, but if we don't get to the top of that hill, we don't even have a chance. Yeah, and we won't sure. even see where they're going, right? Uh-huh. And that's where that little bit extra push where everybody else apparently, right? You know, it's Mm -hmm. only 10% people kill elk. Yeah, Um, and I feel that number is distorted too because I feel like a lot of guys, the same guys are killing elk every year. Like if you look at, you know, guys like yourself and other guys out there, um, guys we've had in the show, they're doing, they're getting it done every year. But those are the also the guys that are putting in 365 days a year, you know, whether it's working out, calling, practicing their calling, knowing their calling, knowing their reads, knowing their bow, knowing their physical limitations, knowing their own expectations, knowing where the animals are, knowing the area that they're hunting. Those are all things that come into play. And like you said, you can't just pick up your bow, shoot it a couple times, and be conf- absolutely confident that you're going to be able to shoot a bull when it's bugling 40 yards in front of you. And the same goes for calling. Like You can't just pull a reed out of a package go down and say, Oh, I'm going out hunting. I got to pick up a couple of reeds and then pull it out of your, pull it out of the package and just start making mouth calls and expect to be efficient with it and expect to get, expect to get the job done. That's just not how it works. You have to be committed day in, day out all year long for it to be cons- consistently successful at elk hunting. Yeah, that's totally true. It's, it's uh, not easy making it look easy. Yeah, like, yeah, one hundred percent. You got it done on day one. Well, not really. Yeah. You know, there was. I'm at the range. I'm shooting. I'm figuring out any weak points in that. Making sure my bow is running top notch. I got the confidence. I can make any mm-hmm. shot. 
that that's required and that's not stu- shooting standing that's shooting kneeling that's drawing on my back and sitting mm-hmm. up that's shooting while moving drawn that's figuring out what you can and cannot do you know having your gear management under control so i'm not running my bugle tube and my wrist strap is whacking my bugle tube making a weird noise like you can't have anything like that happening yeah otherwise for sure, it's just, man. just too hard you hike so far in there and then you have something like that that you just didn't consider happen uh that just can't happen and even like with this last bowl that i shot with my uh bow this year it took me 40 minutes of calling yeah that's a long call session uh-huh. to just kind of coast him and coast him and coast him and he was close enough he was at 40 50 yards that you know like if i and i have had this before in 2018 i uh I messed up on a ball. I had my read ripped and mm-hmm. that's all it took. And he just, as soon as he heard that, Nope, don't like that. Yeah. He was out of there and that's yeah. all it takes. So, you know, if you're not even practiced, like you can't do 30 minutes of cow calling and bugling and without a mess up. And, and, you know, that's where that experience of practicing. If you do mess up, how to kind of take that octave tone and kind of Peter mm-hmm. it out into something that might seem like it's normal to an elk. Yeah. And use it to your advantage. Too. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. I, 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 I couldn't agree more. And yeah, it's, it's all those little things, those little tiny, um, details, you know, that make a difference. And, you know, exactly like you said, like messing around where your string on your bugle tube is getting caught in your release or getting caught on something else or getting caught in a branch that can make or break your opportunity to kill a bull. Cause if he's coming in hot and he's already kind of cautious and something like that happens, forget it it's over you know what i mean or like just these little like ticks and clings you know like uh i shoot a handheld so it dangles on a string i make sure it's tucked inside my sleeve mm-hmm. but i also make sure i can get my fingers in there yep. pull it out quickly and grab it because i've had the instances where it's just you know i couldn't get it out so i'm like oh you know what i'm just gonna let it hang on my arm but then sure enough it tings clangs or just taps your bow your arrow makes a little a little tiny minuscule noise but that's all that's it took it. right yep and that's it so paying attention to those little details definitely have but then again you know that comes into your preparation that comes into like you said like doing all those things drawing on your you know drawing your bow back laying down and then sitting up i mean like that that's a great one right like you know and and like i i i can do that i don't practice that and there's a lot of things that i know that I need to practice and need to practice more. And like Pete and I, we were just talking on the last show about like, I'm really good at ranging from like 50, 60, 70, like 50 to 70. I'm almost to the yard being able to range without a range finder. Mm-hmm. Anything sub 50, man, I really struggle at it. And it's funny, like the closer you get, you figure you'd be better at it, but I'm not, I'm terrible at it. I, I just, because I don't, I don't practice those shots enough. Like, and I, you know, I love shooting at 70 yards mostly because I could shoot it every day and you know i i always find and i always say that when you if you can make those long those long pokes and have consistent grouping you're going to be you know it's going to make that target seem all that much easier when you're up close but i definitely need to there's definitely some things i found out this year that i need to work on so i mean but in the off season that's when you work on it right you don't work on it a week before elk season starts or no. when you're in the moment moment, you need to start working on it like now, like take, you know, take stock of what you needed to improve. And that's kind of how I, I look at all my hunts now 
especially elk hunting, it's not the things I did right. It's the things I did wrong. So I can work on those to mm-hmm. be more efficient come next year. Yeah. And even just like, and that's, that's a prime example. That's something that I tackled this year. You know, I, I always am looking at tinkering and, you know, I got a new, a new bow this year, a new Hoyt RX seven. And, you know, when you go through that motions of setting up your rig, you have to know what you have, right? Like, you know, you got your speeds, but you need to know what your, your, your tolerance for air is. So like I'll shoot at 80, I'll step back five yards, hold my pin at 80 and shoot at 80. Then I'll yeah. step forward 10 paces, shoot at 80. What's that range? Mm-hmm. Like how close, how accurate do I have to be to be in that kill zone? You know, am I, mm-hmm. am I losing a couple inches? And the same thing with, with your close range shots. If I can't predict what the range is, well, I, I better know what pin I'm holding as mm-hmm. my default pin. Yeah. You know, because sure. just like you last year, I had a bowl. He came in and back then I was shooting my, um, white carbon turbo. That bow is so nasty to, to pull that, draw that thing back, to hold it back. I can't just pull it back and hold it there forever. I have to be yeah. very strategic with my draw cycle. Mm-hmm. And so I ranged him and he's running in as fast as he could coming to me, running across me. I had to draw back at 15 yards. Yeah. And it's like, you're, you know, what to do in those circumstances when you're so close that, and I shot him at 10 feet, you know, mm-hmm. people they, they break down their shot process goes to hell. They stop thinking about what pin they're going to hold or where they're going to hold. And in those critical moments, you have to have some of this stuff rehearsed as an automatic. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. And, and yeah, I mean, totally 100%. And, um, it, it's funny you, you're talking about that old bow. And I remember that those old bows, like compared to the new bows, like your RX seven for just like the let off and the holding weight, it must just be like, like, Shooting that thing from that from your old one must just be like when you pull it, even like the draw cycle must just be like, oh, what a relief. Like just funny how how much further all these new bows come and like, yeah, man, like with those old cams or like wheels, even like trying to hold mm-hmm. at full draw for any length of time with a bow like that, like, oh my God. Like, you know, but that's one thing I practice too, is I practice holding at full draw for and I time myself, you know, I'll go get into my shot go through the process mm-hmm. and i'll just draw and i'll hold i'll hold for a minute shoot where's my grouping at right do that hold it for two minutes mm-hmm. where's my grouping at right where do i need to improve is it good okay it's good still just do a couple more right as it, mm-hmm. as you know july august start to roll around i'm definitely working on things like that and it's just, it's just all those little things that you know they're gonna make or break whether you're successful or not especially bow hunting mm-hmm. yeah and i mean just you know, going through your shot process, and I, I learned that in long range rifle, you have to be doing work. Every time you're you're shooting your bow, you're not just shooting around. Like with rifles, especially, you're wearing barrels out. My one gun, it's got three barrels I put on it. Like I shoot mm-hmm. a lot. I used to. If you're not doing work with some of these magnums, you're just burning a hole th- right through your wallet. You have to be getting better. Every single time mm-hmm. you have to be getting better. So that approach to archery i'm working on my grip i'm working on my stance i'm working on my anchor i'll do that for one week leading into and and just nailing down every single thing that to be absolutely perfect that way you know when i'm getting into season i'm i'm well seasoned 
It's automatic. Yeah. Everything is perfect. Because if you don't, if you don't approach training like that, and I call it training because when I go to, like, I see other guys are shooting around, they're just shooting. Mm -hmm. like, yeah. What, what are we working on though? Like, yeah. cause if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. You can't say the same, especially with Bo. Mm -hmm. There's too many things that can go wrong. Yeah. And I just feel like with archery, you know, there's the finding the elk, your hunt plan, your preparation, the shooting should be, well, I shouldn't say the easiest, but it should be close to like, you should, yeah. be well it should be the most natural. <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. It, it, it should by, by then. I mean, and that's the thing with archery and it's not like a, a rifle. I mean, you know, not everybody, but a lot of people, they can shoot wherever and they, they give the excuse. Oh, I don't, I don't have far enough to shoot. I can't shoot 20 yards. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well shoot 20 feet, shoot in your garage. Just work yeah. on your draw cycle, work on your grip, yeah. work on your anchor, close your eyes, just go, th let that bow, like, let, you know, pull through the shot and just, just mm -hmm. let, let it go. Let it feel like just get arrows in a target. That's all that it takes, right? It's just mm -hmm. reps, consistent reps. Like you can tell when you shoot a bow enough, you can tell instantly without even looking where the arrow went down range, how the shot was like, you'll yeah. be able to feel it in your hand, you know, sometimes. And I mean, it, like you brought up a really good point there about don't just shoot shoot effectively yeah because going just shooting going through the process of just shooting you can get you can get lazy you can get complacent like if you shoot at 30 yards enough you're going to have great grouping no matter what and that it's close enough where you're forgiving where it's forgiving enough and especially with these new bows with the long brace height and just mm -hmm. everything that you know it's going to appear that you have like your grouping's good and, and then you're going to think everything's good, but is it right? Mm -hmm. Put yourself in, like you said, those situations where you're shooting at angles. And, and the thing is, it's a lot different when you're shooting on an animal that you've been working for 20 days and it's finally walking in and you get an opportunity to shoot than it is just shooting at a target yeah. that's not moving. So you have to, you have to go through those sequences a lot. Yeah. And that's, that's public land hunting right there. Yeah. You know, you could work your ass off two weeks solid. For a 20 second opportunity yeah 100 man yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. and you know um we've had kyle on and uh i think you know kyle don't you yeah, yeah. i met him through a mutual friend yeah 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 and we, him and i we were talking about the nuances between private and public land and um but uh yeah i mean private land or public land hunting and it's it's competitive right it's competitive and if if there's a bull out there elk that that are seen they're going to be seen by other guys too. So it's always going to be, you know, you're going to be competing and that's when calling comes. That's why calling, practicing your calling and learning calling sequences makes such a difference because if you're competing against another hunter or more group, more hunters or another group of hunters, and they're like doing the same call, like you said, just over and over and over and over, man, if you're good and effective with your calling, it's going to make all the difference in the world. Yeah. I actually encountered two where, you have to even just understanding how much pressure there is in an area where yeah. like in my, like I had, I think it was 2021. I called in 1500s. No kidding. Yeah. Like it's, you got to wow. watch how much you call even, right? Cause yeah. you'll go into an area and you think you're all good to go. Okay. There's no one around in there. You start calling and then you start hearing that response yeah. back and then like, Oh man, this isn't good. Yeah. So yeah, just, just yeah just 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 understanding too like call, calling high volume you have to uh -huh. know if when it's when it's time to call high volume when it's time to kind of just 
be more relaxed with with your calling sequences maybe do softer calls when you're entering into an area because i've had where i'm calling and then the next day i go to work the same valley and there's like trucks everywhere there's like five trucks all Uh in the trailheads they're listening in on it overnight Mm -hmm. and um and and that's that competition again right and and i actually i had a herd bull at 50 yards that year um and it's just those uncontrollable things where you're you're trying to play the bowl into thinking they can come in and you have that, which is already so hard. Yeah. And they got hunters bombing in on you. Yeah. Um, and they called and it was a terrible call. It was just like an elephant getting their <laughs> toe stubbed. It was terrible. <laughs> and it just that bull shot up. He turned, he went right over the ridge. And and I I, I was just like, all he's got to do is step out, just walk the same trail that his cows did. And I got him. And all of a sudden I hear in the distance, and I'm like, oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> so, you know, there there is that high volume, you know, calling can also be kind of counterproductive too. And and um, you know, just talking about tactics of just getting in on elk you know sometimes don't romanticize it mm-hmm. like calling isn't the end all be all there's times yeah. to call there's times like this past bull this past year i went out i had a bull at 40 yards he came in and he did something that i hadn't seen before where he didn't walk a trail he didn't take the easy path he actually shot uphill to look down on me and i know they do that i tried getting down on his level and there's this little cow trail that i hadn't seen and just just hunting in new areas right like come into a spot i'm like oh i got him it's gonna be a frontal he's gonna walk right to this point he's gonna hang up and i'm gonna smoke him comes in goes up and just and he got a look at me you know he didn't really smell me or anything they busted but just adapting to that okay the calling now the gig is up they circled around. I tried to make another move on them, but just having that persistence, that's what kills bulls in some yeah. of these areas. Having that persistence. I put on 20 K before I got back on those elk. I just dogged them over yeah. and over, just watch them come up and over. Um, and then switch to more of a mule deer type <laughs> spot and stock where I just shut up and just started spot and stock and just started making a play on a stock to get into their red zone. And then, uh, and call them in from there, right? Like getting close enough where they're like, oh, this is obviously an elk. Yeah, for sure. It's funny. I've never, I've had that happen once where I was calling and I called a few guys in. Um, Mm -hmm. That was earlier on. Now I can tell instantly what, you know, especially like guys sitting there hammering on that hoochie mama. You're like, okay, well, time to move on. Like, or just wait, let them do their thing and then just move on. Um, yeah, like like that's a really good point to bring up. And like sometimes it's not you don't have to worry about calling. Sometimes it's good just to listen. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's good just to walk into an area and just listen. Let let the cow or let the the elk do their natural thing. And it and then mm-hmm. that can lead into a spot and stalk type of scenario. And that's happened to me before where you you go into an area, nothing's working. So you know what? I'm gonna go in here this day and I'm just gonna listen. And then sure enough, right? You put enough time in there, you 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 get around enough, you got to check your wind, you got to be, you know, you still have to be cautious of what you're doing, how much noise you're making, how much scent you're throwing around, all that stuff. But 
putting yourself into situations where you can just listen to cows is also or listen to elk is also effective and then then you get a scenario like okay i can hear some elk activity over there i'm gonna i'm gonna wait a little bit let them bed down let things calm down and then slowly get my wind once the thermals do their thing and the wind calms Mm -hmm. down then you can move into an area where you know i'm just gonna get in a little closer tippy toe in there do a lot of glassing glass the horizon and just look you might catch an ear you might catch a head or a butt and it's happened to me before right like i've i've just listened i've walked into areas and then unfortunately you know you you get busted that's one thing of walking into an area where there's a lot of cows there's a lot of eyes on you but sure enough it worked right and if i was a little too aggressive in that scenario if i would have just held back a little bit and waited you know i had good wind maybe that bull elk would have stood up right but uh, mm-hmm. I was a little too aggressive in that scenario, but that's a good point. I mean, that it doesn't always have to be romantic. Like you said, I mean, it, it's, it's better to be effective than to just, you know, if it doesn't work out exactly how it looks on YouTube or how you think guys are getting it done, it doesn't matter. The, the end goal is just to get it done. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So dude, um, elk hunting season, it's, uh, it's pretty much over now, I guess. But what I want to get into is deer hunting. And I want to hear the story of you have an amazing deer, Eastman's Elevated, great magazine, great podcast. I love everything those guys are doing over there. Uh, I want to hear the story of that, that monster. So we could either, we could either talk about elk hunting or we can start off by your, you just going through that hunt a little bit and then dive into it from there, whatever you prefer. Yeah, for sure. Um, like obviously that my my year year in year out is all elk but that's just mm-hmm. because that's that's the core opportunities that are in my area yeah um mule deer is there like there are some general zones uh it's getting harder to get uh access and permission i do have access and permission on some areas in there and in, in in southern alberta but uh it is getting more pressured so you know you, once you get one of those coveted tags those five-year draws like what i did yeah uh, your kind of your mentality has to change. And, and, uh, so, you know, draw drew a, a fantastic tag. The year was good for antler growth. We weren't dealing with any drought or anything like that. So I knew it was going to be a great year to draw the tag. Um, and just the mindset that you have to change into of immediately. And I, and I do this automatically just, just because, the senses are different on, on deer hunting. The, the topography is different. The mindset is different. The stalking, everything is different. So, you know, right away, I went on to a couple mule deer courses online again, just get my head back into that mm-hmm. type of mentality because these big bucks are so sketchy. It's just, you got to make sure everything is nailed down before you even start your first stock because, you know, you could see the buck of a lifetime and you're not even in the right mindset. Mm-hmm. So did some scouting. I don't normally scout, but, uh, this year I did went out for two days just to see. And I recommend people do that regardless, just to know what your zone is capable of for that year. Like if you're going out there and I've shot lots of great deer with my father, uh, you know, lots of one seventies, but you know, cracking into that 180, 190, 200 plus range. And I'd set my mark at 190 to 200. Uh, that's, that's an undertaking. There's only a couple deer like that in the zone. So right away, I'm getting out early before hunting season, before harvest too. That's really important. I think 
before that human activity, just to kind of go out there and kind of see what's out there, like the inventory of bucks. Okay. Right. Like, even if it's not even in hunting permission you have, you need to know what's out there. Like mm-hmm. if they're out in the open, there's some, there's some no hunting areas, just glass them, see what, see what the genetics are like. Um, and you might, you can't hunt those deer, but it's good to know, okay, there's like 180, 190 class bucks in this area. Go out there, get that permission early. The landowners really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and don't negate public either, but the areas you're going to be going into, they're, they're terrible. And, and that's, that's usually edging up on, on uh, private. Yeah. So, you know, just getting into that. So right away I found three, four target box pushing 180, um, and just went through that whole like hunt plan. I, I took Mark's course, uh, live a say from mm-hmm. tree line Academy. So already yep. I've already been into that game of like, I'm hunting with a purpose. I have to convince myself each day what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And then from there you find animals and you, and you keep going through your, your hunts and your stocks and you kind of go down that rabbit hole. But, um, so with that mule deer hunt, um, I was all prepped and ready to go. I had target box. I knew exactly where I was going to be opening day. I'm driving, hit a deer on the highway with my brand new truck, <laughs> a doe just bolted. Yeah. I'm just worst case scenario, just uh. smoked them, took out my front end. Oh man. And, um, and you know, not ideal, about, not ideal, <laughs> not ideal, but you know, and then, then, um, and, and I'll actually say like, you know, I, I got this deer right behind me yeah. because and largely because of my wife, I, you know, I tell this to young guys that are getting out there and they like to hunt and stuff, you know, like pick a supportive partner. My wife is so supportive right away. She's where are you? I'm right there. She drove in, grabbed my stuff. Cause like, it was a pretty considerable, uh, hit. like the yeah. door needed to be replaced and stuff. Like it was pretty extensive. Um, and she's loaded up all my gear. We're heading back into town. I'm calling my dad. I got his diesel and by midday I'm hunting again. So, you know, getting right back out there, yeah. it was a terrible year for heat. So by, by the time I was out there, I didn't see much. When was your draw? What time? Uh, of year? it's, it's an all year. Uh, oh, okay. so it's like, a oh, it's, it's a, uh, archery combination so it's archery in the start of the year and then it transitions mm-hmm. into yeah. rifle yeah, yeah um so september 1st till yeah. end of november no, down gotcha. here but yeah. um so got out there didn't see much it was 36 degrees so just not good hey and yeah. even some of the bucks that i glassed up they were starting to already get that uh they're starting to bleed on their horns a little bit so mm-hmm. i knew i was uh i was starting to run out of time as far as patterning them like really early like by the second there was already some bucks that were getting hard horned um so didn't see anything switch gears i had some reeds i went out into the hills and uh hiked up in there did some cow cone killed a bull elk uh like four hours after i hiked in there it was crazy and that's that bull i shot at 10 yards packed him out thank goodness my cousin jp and my other friend andrew Help me pack them out, but I was hurting. Like it was, it was bad. It was like yeah. six, seven K in there. So beat up for about a week or Earned two. Kind of, yeah, yeah. And put my my mule deer hunting on hiatus for a little bit. Recovered, yeah. went back out there, and right away, right back to my hunt plan. Started finding bucks. 
big bucks too. Like uh, putting stocks on, you know, 180 inch buck that I, I end up passing at 30 yards. Um, you know, just in, you know, finding and locating those big bucks, they, they pattern and you have to understand the mentality, the early season, they start going through these changes and they're pretty dramatic. Obviously their mentality is they're out in the open. They're walking to and from on ridgelines usually because mm-hmm. they know they got the wind advantage. Uh, they'll bed up and then, uh, and then they'll kind of bump and bump and bump. And as the day progresses, they're back in the timber. And then they come back out at, at night. So just, you know, going through stocks, understanding, and, and this is something that um, I would say hunt, hunt deer or hunt your main target before you get to one of these draws so that you know what, kind of what to do so that you're not pushing the limits, hunting to failure, blowing deer up, um, knowing and identifying what is a high percentage stock. Mm-hmm. You come in there and I was doing three stocks a day and, uh, you come in, come into the red zone and just understanding, is this deer even killable? Like where they are, a lot of the time they'll bed and kind of like a little bend in a hill and mm-hmm. they know from ridge to ridge, there's a hundred yards. Mm-hmm. Well, they know that they're safe yeah. or they'll, they'll bed closer to the top of a of a hill that has wind advantage so that right. they know they could smell that and they can peer into the the mm-hmm. valley across from them mm-hmm. so just you know understanding their mentality and understanding when you shouldn't even try mm-hmm. that's pretty hard i seen yeah. uh, i had one deer he was pushing 200 inches and just knowing you're so close but you might as well be on the moon you're mm-hmm. 100 107 yards and it's just like it's just you can't go any further yeah just knowing when it's just it's not going to happen yeah that is such a frustrating that is one of the so when i switched over to hunting with my bow only that was the hardest pill i had to swallow Mm -hmm. was knowing that i am so close but like you said i might as well be on the fucking moon yeah because it's just not gonna happen and like i mean the the it always goes into your head too, like Wayne Gretzky said, you're gonna miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take. So at the beginning, you know, I was always really aggressive. But then you get into situations if you're targeting a specific animal and you do that and you're too aggressive, you're never gonna see that deer or elk or whatever it is you're chasing again. He's gonna be gone. So definitely no like getting and putting yourself into those situations is definitely it's it, I like it's frustrating as all hell because you just know, like like you said, I'm 170 yards away. I'm so close with a rifle, it'd be over. Yeah. But with a bow, it's like, it's just, it's just not going to happen. You just got to sit there and watch and take it. Terrible. And that's exactly what happened. He just, those deer are so switched on. And I mean, just going through extreme measures, I, I was, I backed out as soon as I seen him, I backed out. And, and that's where we talk about like, you know, your preseason checklist of, okay, am I physically fit enough? Because if you're not, you are not going to go the right way. There's only mm-hmm. one way, and that's the right way, and that's the back completely out, go into cover, get the wind right. Because mm-hmm. if you can't physically do that, they'll wind you. They're there for a reason. They know that the wind is going to come up to them. So backed out, went in the right way, and I belly crawled for three, 400 yards. Terrible. Like going so slow, I was questioning whether or not I was going to make it before yeah. last light. And that is extremely challenging. I remember I was hunting – 
not sorry to keep cutting your 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 story off here but like hunting antelope in southern alberta man and like belly crawling and like here in bc you never have to belly crawl right Mm -hmm. like we're hunting in different completely different topography but like that is physically exhausting and then you start getting physically exhausted it starts to wear on you mentally you're like oh man i just can't do it i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to do this now or never because i'm not gonna be able to make it and that comes down to like if you're physically conditioned mentally it'll help you to make those decisions which are you know ultimately could be the right decision but yeah belly crawling is one thing i never thought of how physically challenging it could be to do that do it slow do it quietly it's man it's exhausting Mm mm-hmm yeah, because you're essentially you're sitting there planking for yeah. hours. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's frustrating too because you can you can go down or go down a road on a stalk and it's just like oh man, I'm now into thorns uh-huh. and I got to just kind of you know work my way through that and not make noise yeah. and uh, not push the limits and waiting for those gusts of wind and move between those gusts like that's that 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 takes a lot of mental toughness because too like you drop your pack you're out of water now you know it's it's hot out like it was 30 plus degrees so you're just getting roasted out there mm-hmm. um so needless to say i got to 107 yards and just me being there that buck felt that pressure yeah he felt that pressure and i wasn't loud i i had the wind and I was just kind of hanging out, waiting to see what would happen. And he got up right away. He was in a complete dead sleep. I'd even question him, like, do I take my boots off and just mm-hmm. start working my way in? And just me being there, he could just sense. He heard something. Yeah, sense your uh, presence. Yeah, and he stood up, walked off. And then and then right from there, I, I put another stalk on him just to put him in a bed to see where he was. Him just feeling that pressure. Boom. Didn't see him in daylight again. That was it. Didn't see him in daylight, and I tried finding him. I, I, I even talked to uh, Brian from Eastman's. Like, what do you do in this scenario? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a, it's like a big miss. What do you do? How do you recover from from some of these things where you push them hard? They start going in and out of timber. Like, what's what's the tactic? So I started. You know, I talked to him. He said, you know, they could be held up in a hundred yard little pocket somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I started going in to all the timber areas just walking silently, almost like ambush hunting. Mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. really slow, glass of close, glass of far. Work my way through areas. Never did see him. Never did see him again. So switch gears. Said, okay, that deer, he's off the table. But when you see a 200-inch deer, you're like, okay. Like, I'm setting the bar high. Mm-hmm. I'm not shooting even a 180. I'm going to go for that, push for that upper limit, that 190-200. Definitely possible in the zone. Mm-hmm. Um so started making stocks on animals and, and just talking about, um, you know, I come from a technical background in my work life mm-hmm. and it's all like, it's power generation and power utilities. There are rules. So I'm very used to that kind of structure and they're usually inconvenient, but they're there for a reason. They're there to, to serve yeah. a purpose. And with mule deer, there are some rules, uh, you know, in the morning, that's when you're finding and locating your animals. You have to be up there early. You have mm-hmm. to be at a point where you can see everything and you have to be able to get in there without them sensing, seeing that movement, mm-hmm. seeing you up there. So slipping in there quiet, glassing up the bucks. And from there you have to shadow them mm-hmm. and you have to shadow them to the point where you see them bedded and you just have to stay there. 
kind of far, but kind of close. Uh, just sit there and watch them. And you watch them until the sun comes over the horizon. They're bedded in shade and that shade changes. They get up and they walk. You have to, mm -hmm. you have to watch them to hit their second bed before you mm -hmm. even consider a stock. Yeah. 100%. And just, if, if you don't do that, you'll get there and you're like, where's the deer? Yeah. He's gone. Yeah. And he turns around, he's bouncing over the ridge. Ridge. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah. That's, I learned that. I learned that, you know, right away when I got into bow hunting and got out of hunting those high alpine bucks mm -hmm. with the rifle, you get into like the mid, the mid valley or the bottom boxes that, yeah, you have to, you have to let them do their thing and let it naturally take its course. And then at, sure as shit, like you said, they're going to bed down. And they're going to get up again and they're going to move down again to someplace a little thicker where they're going to have yeah. longer shade. And they know that. And then you have to expect it and wait for it. And sometimes it takes a little longer, right? Sometimes they have yep. shade for an hour. Sometimes it's even two, but they're going to get up again because it's, sure enough, that sun is going to move around to a place where they're not comfortable. Like, I'm, I mean, like you said, it's hot. I wouldn't want to sit in the sun baking all day either. So they're going to do the same thing, right? They're going to get up and move. You just got to be patient and it's, it's mentally challenging. Like, do I yep. go? Do I go? Like, you got to be cautious of all these things that could go wrong is like wind. And like, I've, I've made stocks before and like, you know, you're, you're going through an area and you didn't pay close enough attention to that doe that had bedded down in an area where it's, she's going to see you when you're walking in to get to a position where you think you could kill that buck either in his bed or when he stands up. So that's why you got to be completely cognizant of like everything that's going around when you're, when you're glassing those and take inventory on like how many deer do you see in the field? Where are they going? Like not just paying attention to the big buck you see that you want to go after. You have to oh, kind of, yeah. you got, you got to know, you know, it's kind of like a poker game. You got to make sure, you know, you got to keep inventory of who's doing what and when they're doing it. Yeah. It's actually funny that you say that because that's actually what kept happening to me was there was white tail does in the area. And my goodness, I ended up having to get spot, spot deer, let them bed up, wait until the, you know, the, the thermals are changing. Mm -hmm. I have that strong wind. I can make a game plan. I, and I recommend to anybody who's who's hunting, especially where there's landmarks, mm -hmm. take a picture, range it, take a picture, put a waypoint in your iHunter or whatever app you're using, Gaia or you know Google, Onyx. whatever, Onyx. Put a waypoint on it, even if it's ballpark where you think they mm -hmm. are. Because if you don't do that, once you get up in there, and if you have to, like I had to, I had to go completely around this little valley because there was whitetail held up in there. And mm -hmm. they kept blowing up and blowing and taking off running. And uh, by the time you get up and all the way around and start planning a stalk on a deer, um, things start looking similar. You start mm -hmm. looking around like, that looks that looks like where he was. You get there, well, is it? A hundred percent. I don't know. You know, my perspective has changed and that's when you start getting the urge to peak. And that's mm -hmm. where everybody gets, it, it, they get, they get blown. They right away, they get picked off because they're, they're kind of, they're peaking up. And that's, mm -hmm. that's one thing I always, I'm always constant of that. I'm always thinking about that. Like when I'm trying to do my final approach on, on a deer and I'm looking and that's, that was helpful with all these stocks that I was doing. You know, when people talk about passing deer, I was passing deer at 30 yards, mm -hmm. like actually, cause they're borderline and, and when they're borderline like that, they're around that 180 mark. I really want to get close 
eyes on them so I can see like what's going on on their bases, mm -hmm. what's going on. Is there any extras I'm not seeing from a distance? Like, is there something else going on with that deer that, that could boost up the score? And it's, it's just personal achievement trying to get mm -hmm. to a certain level of deer. But when you're doing that, you have this urge to peak and you can't, you cannot peak. You just have to sit there as low as possible and just scan the horizon, move up low, scan the horizon, just looking for those horn tips and uh, being super cautious of that and just working your way in on the final approach. And, and that's where, that's where guys, like if they don't have a landmark, they didn't wait, they didn't wait till they got the wind. And sometimes like I had a one buck, he was, he was borderline. He was a good buck. He was probably pushing that high one eighties where I ended up having to back out. I'm, I'm 50 yards and the wind starts switching and swirling and I had to back all the way out, go completely around and then start over. Mm -hmm. And you know, the deer got up and he started moving. Right. Yeah. Just naturally didn't blow him out of there, but, um, definitely that's, that's part of it. Right. Yeah, um, for sure, man. 100%. Yeah. And it's, that's when that mentally, like it gets mentally challenging men and especially doing that day in, day out, day in, yeah. day out. And then like, it comes down to your preparation 365 days a year, whether it's elk hunting, deer hunting, whatever you're doing, you gotta, you gotta yeah. know that you're going to be in that situation to kill world-class animals. You're going to have to go through a lot of shit that you don't want to go through. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, and this is something that I should have probably started at the, uh, said at the very start was if you don't have a good understanding of field judging mule deer, you're, I'm not saying you're going to be dis disappointed because they're, they're, you know, they're an amazing creature for any, any quasi mature animal is, is a big trophy, especially with archery. But if you're going to go for those one, 180 plus 190, 200 inch deer, you have to set your expectations at the very start of the hunt. I am not going to shoot a 180 or 170 or whatever your your benchmark is i will not do that so yeah. in order for me to achieve my success i have to have a very clear understanding of what that class of deer looks like what features am i looking for you know um because that hesitation is what's going to be damning to you later on in the hunt because you might hum and haw and then you pass up a 190 buck well, yeah. 190s are pretty, they're cartoonish. You're like, yeah, I need to shoot that deer right yeah, now. Yeah. But that there's a borderline, right? Where they maybe have a smaller frame, um, mm -hmm. you know, but they have extras. That can be extremely difficult if you're talking about trying to get into that 180, high 180, 190 yeah. class. Um, so, you know, right away, I, I, you know, Eastman's has a great YouTube video on there. And I recommend anybody go on that. And um Nice. I'll throw some show notes up for the listeners. I mean, yeah. we're just plugging the hell out of Eastman's here. Oh, I, I know, I know. <laughs> but it's just I went I went through their mule deer course and then I found online uh just some great material of yeah. video of different classes of deer, of mm -hmm. bracketing deer. Um, you know, I've always and pushing Eastman's aside on this, but just measuring bucks, you know, you got a lot if you got a bunch of hunting buddies, measure them. Mm -hmm. um you know be there be there when they you know at the end of the year a couple of my buddies will bring all the, the animals that they got and just understand what that actually looks like in person yeah like okay yeah this is a 190 buck or this is a 170 
you know? Yeah. Um, oh, 100% dude. And because like nowadays everybody goes on Instagram and they're reading like, Oh, that's a 180 buck. That's a 190 buck. And like, when you're looking at these deer, like not everybody does it, but a lot of people, they stand eight feet back from the fucking deer. So the deer looks like an elephant next to the person. Yeah. And it's hard to really judge. Like, you know, it drives me nuts when like, I, I prefer guys not to do that. Like, just be honest with like, no matter what, man, that's a good deer. Like a 180 deer is a beautiful deer, especially a yeah. mule deer with a bow with, you know, with anything mm-hmm. or an elk, whatever. Like, just like that part of it drives me, you know, a little berserker. And then, it, but just looking at and trying to just get used to field judging that way, isn't going to work. You have to see no. them in person. You got to actually mm-hmm. get your hands on them, put a tape on them. And just, yeah, figure out exactly where. Because, like, when a mule deer stands up or you see a mule deer's rack looking at you or it's in the horizon, like, it's it's got a little bit of light behind it, they all look freaking big, man. It yeah. could be a 140 and it could have a good frame, good structure. It could be a 3 by 3 And it's, you know, it, it they just look big. So yeah. definitely got to do your homework there. Yeah, you got to do your homework and you got to understand, um, again, there's rules. I would say like you have to, you have to understand in your area, do they have big heads? Do they have big Uh ears? If they have big ears, you're looking for at least two on the main beam. As far as your ear length, take that ear length. You have Mm -hmm. to have at least two on the main. A 180 buck is going to be outside the ears on horn width. And they can have good fronts or good backs. Uh, They can have deficiencies, but once you get into that 190, there can be no deficiencies. Mm -hmm. There has to be good fronts, good backs, width, mass, everything needs to be there. But, um, you know, when you get into extras and stuff, you know, it it gets a little bit tricky. But but still, if if you're going for a buck, if it's good fronts or good backs, you always pick good fronts. 60% of the score is fronts. You have to hit those benchmarks to get those bigger bucks. So, you know, just understanding that because so... You know, uh, my cousin, he had shot a buck and, and he was a Goliath. He was humongous. Just the body on him. He was built like a rhino. And, you know, he walked up to him. He thought it was like a 190, 200 inch buck, but he was, you know, he was at, he's still an outstanding buck. He was 180, but Mm -hmm. right there, it's like, I kind of clued in. I'm like, you know, that's hard. Especially when they're standing out in their own, you really have to have that dial going into a hunt. Right. So, you know, just having that benchmark and all these, you know, there's all these rules and, you know, we're score counting. um, But just making sure that you, you, you have already set in your head where your benchmark is so you can reject all these other deer. And that's, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's something that I was doing on this hunt. And it was getting frustrating, honestly, because some of these deer would have been some of the biggest deer I'd ever shot in my life. You know, like 100, 180 yeah. inch deer. I passed him, had him at 40 yards. He just, he, he had deep forks. He just was kind of skinny horned. And I was just, was going for that, that monarch, that wide, big frame, that stereotypical, uh, either a big typical or a big frame, non-typical. And uh, I just, I just went through stock after stock after stock. And I just started seeing less and less and less. Um so fast forward a couple of weeks after that, I wait till the first snowfall and we got absolutely pounded by snow. It was up to like knee waist height. I went out a couple of times, wasn't seeing very much. Um, so again, you know, I, and I, and I do this and I, 
Like I, I can appreciate guys will take big blocks to hunt and that might be, that's how you have to do it for work. But if you have the flexibility to stop, if, if there's, if there's no activity, there's no activity. Mm-hmm. You kind of got to be able to hit pause, wait till something changes, whether that's weather or, um, you know, seasonal rut changes, something, something needs to change before this can be a new inventory of deer coming in. So I waited, we got, a little bit of snowfall again, another uh, cold front had came in and uh, loaded up the boys and we we're going to head in to actually hunt elk for, for Cohen, my oldest. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I had in the back of my mind, I knew there's some big crankers in this area and we started just working our way through and, and um, you know, hunting with kids is difficult. Oh yeah. It's, it's tough, especially <laughs> for like Boone or Crockett level deer. You really have to <laughs> emphasize, like you have to be quiet. You can't be yeah. stomping around. Oh, um, dude, I I couldn't even imagine. It's so funny you say that. Like, I mean, my son Wyatt has gotten so much better, but like, you, yeah, it just everything is like you have to stop. And like every five minutes, you're like, hey, don't do this, don't do that, mm-hmm. don't do this, don't do that, do this, do this, don't do that, don't do that. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. totally. It's so funny you say that. And uh, you know, and and. By the time we got into the spot where I ended up killing this buck, we had already gone to like two, three different spots and uh, having those spots. And each time I was trying to really emphasize one thing we have to focus on. It's like, okay, wind, 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 like telling them about wind, telling them about, okay, no, no fast movements. You know, that's one thing that I think gets a lot of guys pegged is they're, they're swinging their arms and they're walking, they're looking around fast. It's like, you can't be doing that. You yeah. just move slow. Mm-hmm. silent move Methodical. up glass yeah. move up glass so we were doing that and um you know uh we had well they got a they got a lesson really quickly on passing deer because there was a 170 blew past us and uh my youngest mace he was he was like well that's a good deer dad like why are we not shooting that deer i'm like he's not good enough it's just trust me trust yeah. me we're this is the right decision. You're not going to shoot big deer if you keep shooting 170s. And most deer, they top out at 170. So let's let's just keep looking. Yeah. And then another one goes by, and he's like, "Oh man, like he's just chomping at the bed." He's like, "Well, let's like." And then my oldest Cohen is just like, "So are we killing a deer today?" Or <laughs> like, I'm like, no, no, no. Like we're we're gonna keep looking. Trust me, trust me. We're we're gonna keep looking. We're gonna find something. And um. And then I, we ended up backing out of that area and going into some real gnarly stuff again. And, uh, um, you know, advice with kids and hunting, and this is probably even with spouses too, is, um, and a lot of guys aren't going to like me saying this, but they have to have comparable gear to what you're using. They really do. Like, like with kids, it's tricky because they're constantly outgrowing their gear and, and, and stuff like that. But um, making sure that they have good boots they got a good thermal air. Some level of protection really helps to to get into some of these real nasty spots. One hundred percent, dude. If you're taking your kids out and they're wet and they're cold and they're miserable and they're not having any fun, your hunt is fucking over. It's over. Oh yeah, pack it's up, over. go home. It's over, and the complaining starts. Yeah, and they're gonna have a terrible time. Yeah. So luckily, you know, I got them all geared up, and we're heading up this hill, and we're just slowly, methodically moving through the timber, move up glass, move up glass, move up glass. Uh, we, there was an area where I knew that there could be potentially some big bucks. So we went the long way completely around. It was pretty steep. 
went all the way up. It was about a thousand yard detour. So it was pretty, pretty rough terrain, but uh, we went up into that area and we just set up and we just started glassing and, you know, tactics with glassing, you gotta, like, if you're going to be really serious about it, you have to have some, some tripod, something to get really steady. So you can start gridding out all the terrain. And, and honestly, like with, with my kids, I showed them pictures of mule deer features of mule deer before we headed out for the day. So like, Hey, if you're glass and you're going to actually help out and be an asset to the hunt here, you got to know what you're looking for. This is what, these are the features you're looking for. Don't just look for a big deer, look for a tine, look for a hoof, look for, you know, their butt sticking out, look for that color hue or color tone. And, um, we're glass and glass and glass and, and it's blowing at this point we're high up it's terrible it's super cold and then all we see is just this little flicker of this movement I'm like oh that's either a really big deer or that's elk so we're gonna back out we're gonna use some archery techniques because like by this time it was a rifle hunt and that's one thing i'll say like if you're a if you're a good and proficient archery hunter when you get a rifle in your hand it's like a superpower you're yeah, like, man. I gotcha. You know, like <laughs> I have the power. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah, can come yeah. down there and, and I can make something happen. But, um, you know, we, we spotted some, something, some movement into this one bench that I knew there was either elk or deer and they love that area. And, um, you know, just did a pep talk with my kids. Okay. No talking whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Have to follow exactly behind me, single file, no waving your arms, nothing. Cause we had to clear this big wide opening in the like it was snow, wide open terrain. Like if we head straight at them, they'll notice less movement. So let's just slowly walk single file right behind me, no talking, no big movements, and let's just go really slow. And we just started heading down into them straight at them. Kept going, kept going. We kind of stopped one second because I kind of glassed. I seen a little bit of flicker of some movement and um, headed right in at them. And by this point, we're just on the edge of this timber line. And right away, I'm like, okay, there's some deer in here. Look on the edge. I seen some juvenile deer in the back. And then uh, I started to to kind of, I, I kind of felt like I'd seen some movement. Like I, I think we kind of partially busted them, but their curiosity got the best of them. And they got up. And he's sitting there and I just, I glassed him and we're at about a hundred yards and right away. And this is where coming back to the field judging immediately knew that this deer was like a 190 class. Mm-hmm. He's looking straight at me at a hundred yards. He couldn't quite see, see me. Cause we, the way we approached, we ensured that we had a backdrop of some sort mm-hmm. of vegetation. Yeah. Yeah. So you were silhouetting yourself. Yeah. yeah. Which is, so he kind of, he seen something, but he didn't know quite what he was looking at. And right away, I knew he was a shooter. Fronts level with the backs, deep, deep forks, deep, good, good fronts, good backs. Outside the ears, shooter buck all day. So I uh, did my final approach. I told the kids, I'm like, just sit down. I'll start heading in. There's a big tree. Put the put the tree in between this deer and I. I'm gonna go in for a closer look at him. I was I was tempted to pass him. I'm good. I'm 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 glad that I didn't. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, close the distance to under 50 yards yeah. and then uh, just peeked around the corner seeing that I'm like oh yeah great buck so I and I was I was there was a split second where I was thinking I'm like do I crawl in and shoot him prone 
or do I shoot him just straight standing? Cause I just was worried that as soon as I came around this tree, he was going to bolt. Hey, eh? yeah, yeah. um, but I figured I'm like, if I shoot prone, they're used to things crawling to come kill them. So I probably shouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. You might not like that. Um, so braced my gun up on, on this tree and I just, all I did was I just went counterclockwise all the way, just as slow as I possibly could until I could see him and just smoked him. Um, and I really, until you get hands on them, you don't know exactly what you're looking at, but, um, just an outstanding deer. He, yeah, man. Amazing. 185 on the frame. So just outstanding. And then, uh, you know, with the, he had a couple of brow tines and extras yeah. put him in at 190 and three eights. So just out, deer. outstanding deer. He's actually right there behind me, right there. Yeah. Yeah. What a great work from, from uh, Lance at uh, Ultimate did that. Just uh, an incredible hunt. Um, I mean, and to do it with your kids too is yeah, extremely that, challenging. I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't realize that, uh, that you had done it with your kids. What a special moment for all you guys. Oh yeah. And just, you know, packing it out. We, yeah. we caped them together. Uh, you know, my wife bought, uh, the boys some new bench made knives. So they got to put their use their, their knives for the first time on this deer. And, uh, just, I, I, and I knew what was at stake here with yeah. this level of deer. I knew I'm like, this is like core memory stuff here. So, oh, um, you know, I was, I was going to kill that buck regardless because he was good enough and I had the kids with me. Mm -hmm. Um, but to get that level of deer with the kids and, and, you know, I, I, I'll never forget. We just pull his antlers out and you're like, Whoa, Whoa. Yeah. You know, just that, that, you know, kids see that and, and oh, you man. see that in their eyes with a big fish or like a, a big deer or a big bull elk. And they'd never really been around something of that size. And, um, and, know, and just, just the experience for them, like they're never going to forget it. And like, so I took Wyatt out elk hunting this year is this first year elk hunting and like, we got to an area and I knew there was a couple of bulls in there right away. I go in there, start making some calls start. And I get this, um, bull bugle at me, but it's faint. I'm like, did you hear that? He's like, no, I didn't hear it. I'm like, okay, let's get close. I wanted to get real close. So it's a definitive, like, oh yeah, that that's a bugle. So we get right up in close and I get him going. And like, I turn around and the look on his face was just like he had just seen a dinosaur like it was just like his oh, yeah. eyeballs were as big as you can imagine like you know we had close encounters we were trying to get him an elk um we had one at 80 and he just couldn't find it in his rifle scope uh unfortunately it didn't work out but uh man you know like he said he, he wasn't able to connect with one but still to this day and i mean we have we've had a lot of firsts for him in the last couple of years you know his, last year he got his first mule deer got his first bear this year he got his first whitetail but still to this day, he says the most fun experience he's ever had hunting was that day when he got to he got to listen to elk and, and see the elk for the first time. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It is. Uh, and, it, and, it, and honestly, like once you become an experienced hunter, uh, it kind of reinvigorates you, too. Right? Oh, dude, like totally. It, you know, totally. like yeah. it gets that kind of that spark of excitement yeah, is, is still there. Uh, it doesn't ever go. But um, when you yeah. start getting into it with your kids, it's it's. Uh, well, it, it's funny you say that, like and I said it on the show before, like when I go out and I'm hunting for myself, I don't get like I get excited. But I don't get that, you know, that first buck, that first elk, mm -hmm. that first sheep, first goat feeling you get after you've 
killed a few animals because eventually it just fades away unfortunately but like with Wyatt taking him out I got all those first time emotions again like you get like man I w- I'd get more excited than him when he had an opportunity in a deer and I'd be like my heart was pounding and like you just wanted you just want it to happen so bad right and you know yeah it's funny you say that because that that couldn't be true yeah and like I mean the boys they've been around elk hunting their whole life so they I actually shot my first bull elk I had the kids with with me nice. Uh, yeah. with my bow uh cohen would have been 11 years old and oh, right Ace would have been seven so they had that that crazy yeah i shot him at 30 yards he bull runs right past them with the luminox buried in them it was crazy so you know to get back they're like well they they full they, they even had said after this hunt we had experienced the entire highs and lows you yeah. know the high of the excitement we're seeing deer but then oh you didn't shoot them you know and okay we're going to a new spot and then we didn't see anything and then go to another spot so you know yeah. that kind of got that full experience and then the big payoff and then to be honest the hard work after right because they packed yeah, out yeah. that mule deer with me and that was like as a father what a cool experience shoot oh, a boon crockett level deer packing yeah. them out in the dark we quartered them up the boys they each had a quarter and we hiked out of there and uh you know what an adventure you know uh oh just every everything that you're looking for in a hunt yeah no doubt what an experience the some one that you guys will never forget and yeah it's it's good that you get them used to those ebbs and flows of hunting young Mm -hmm. so when they get older they do you know they just don't think it's funny like my dad he hunted in the prime time moose hunting right like though him and they'd go up they'd ball punch their tags in a day or two and like he doesn't he doesn't like how difficult it's become now, right? Like, I mean, they would literally just drive down one one forestry service road, hit one or two cut blocks, shoot a moose, bring it back. Mm-hmm. Now you have to do a little work, right? He's got spoiled his whole life, and like he's just like, nah, I'm good. I don't I don't want to go out. I'll just take the kids out and go grouse hunting, right? He's just like mm-hmm. it's too much of a grind for him. But uh well, man, you know, we're kind of uh we're kind of over an hour here, and I like to keep these things uh around an hour, but dude. Great to have you on the show, buddy. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. We'll have to get you on again here, and uh, we'd love to. I'd love to hear about uh, your kids' elk and just uh, maybe off-season training and shooting and stuff. So yeah, for sure. Maybe uh, maybe in the early new year here we can uh, reconnect. Perfect. Sounds good, Kevin. So where can uh, the people listening find and folly and all that jazz? Uh, mostly on Instagram, Derek K Corey, uh, and that's that's pretty much. The only thing I'm doing these days, I'm not on Facebook that much anymore. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Cool. Yeah. I'll put links up to all that. And I'll also put links up to the Eastman's uh, e-scouting thing you took. And, yeah, for sure. And uh, Mark, you know, you mentioned Mark Livesey. Oh, this yeah. Course. Mark yeah. Livesey, complete game changer. Like yeah. just having a plan set out, then you have to, you know, prove, prove every plan, why you're going there, how much time you're going to spend, critical critical yeah, to success for sure i'll put links up to his stuff he's actually on his link there's a link to his stuff on our web page but i'll put another link up for him and dude thanks again it's been a lot of fun and uh it's good to uh we, we've been chatting back and forth on instagram for a while now so yeah it's great to finally connect yeah thanks kevin okay man good luck with the rest of the season you too okay cheers <laughs>